Let's pray once more. Father, we thank you that you sit in the heavens upon the throne, that you rule over all the cosmos and this earth in it, that you rule over this nation and this state and this city, that you rule over each one of us in the details of our lives. We thank you, Father, that your arm is not too short, that your will is not thwarted, that your will is being done. And we pray just that, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask, Father, for faith in this hour. We ask for endurance in this hour. We ask for courage in this hour. We ask for strength in this hour. An hour of testing where those who claim Christ will have to prove it. Where those who profess Christ will have to stand firm against the wiles of the devil and those that serve him. We ask, Father, you through your word, through the power of your spirit, nourish our souls today. Instruct our minds today. And give us spines today to stand up for Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. title of today's message is the Christian response to insurrection against God and state. The Christian response to insurrection against God and state. While Christians should definitely pray for Joe Biden in accordance with 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, they are not bound to concede the presidency to him or to call him President Biden by 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, Romans 13, 1 through 5, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, or any other scripture. In God's perfect providence, the U.S. Constitution is the earthly king in America, not the president. And the Constitution affords us the First and Second Amendment rights to speak out against Constitution-defying treasonous tyrants who steal elections with the help of their communist Chinese friends and their China virus. I've reluctantly conceded the presidency of every Democrat elected in my adult life until now. I served in the United States Marine Corps from 1990 to 96. To say I was disappointed when Bill Clinton became my commander-in-chief in in 1993 would be an extreme understatement. And yet I conceded and called him President Clinton. I do not concede to Joe Biden, nor will I call him President Biden. I'll pray his crimes find him out, he's brought to justice, and that he comes to repentance and saving faith in Christ before dementia fully steals his mind. Where do we go from here? For the glory of Christ, the blessing of his church, the salvation of sinners, and rescuing of unborn babies, we obey our king's great commission and teach our children to die to self and take up Christ's cross by defying all earthly tyrants and going to church, worshiping, praying, putting on the full armor of God, taking up the shield of faith and marching as to war with the sword of the Spirit, preaching Christ, preaching His law, preaching His gospel, everywhere perishing sinners are found, city centers, riverfronts, parades, abortion clinics, college campuses, everywhere. The king and his kingdom are coming. We want to be found busy obeying our king and advancing his kingdom in the earth when he arrives, not hiding from earthly tyrants. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, our king spoke, Hear your king. 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. That's whose authority you're under. He who has all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. All nations. Nations ruled by duly elected officials. Nations ruled by tyrants. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Our mission is certainly to seek and to save the lost individually. But our mission is grander yet. Our mission is to bring all nations in submission to King Jesus. Let us not be satisfied with anything less. We march as to war with the banner of Christ going before, preaching our King and calling every man, every woman, every child to bend their knee to the King. Confess Him as Lord, that they might be saved eternally and that their life presently might have meaning, might have purpose, might be for the glory of God and the blessing of their fellow man. In Luke 18.8, It says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he? Will he, saints? How is it looking out there? Is there genuine faith prospering in the earth or is it waning? Is there a great apostasy taking place? There is both, I'll confess, a great apostasy taking place and an uprising of genuine Christian faith. A purified church is rising up because that's what persecution brings. Purification. Cleansing. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? I read that and applied it broadly. Let me apply it to you and me. Will he find faith in you? Will he find faith in me? When he comes, will you be ready? And you think, well, we don't know when he's coming. That's true. That's why the Bible exhorts us to be ready as if he was coming as a thief in the night, unexpectedly at any hour. Again and again, it exhorts us to that end. You also don't know this. You don't know when you're going to him. So whether he comes or whether you go to him, you will go or he will come. Either way, you'll stand before him and give an account for your life. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And what value, what quality of faith? Do you want a mediocre faith, a meager faith, a weak faith, a lukewarm faith that he's already warned us will be spewed forth from his mouth? A vibrant faith, a strong faith, a valiant faith. A faith that he can say, well done, good and faithful, do loss, blood-bought, slave. Two. Let us pray by the grace of God that he would find faith in us individually and corporately. Luke nine twenty three through 26 says this, Jesus speaking, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Those aren't just words on a page. That's the Christian life. And it's never been more important in America. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will save it. 
For what profit is a man is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Choose this day. Will the world be ashamed of you or will Jesus? Will the world say, go from me, I don't know you, or will Jesus say, go from me, I never knew you? The Christian life is to die to self and take up the cross. And the Lord Jesus warns us, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. The pressure has never been stronger on you to save your life. Stay away from Jesus. Distance yourself from him. Stay away from his word. Distance yourself from it. Stay away from people who are about Jesus and his word. Distance yourself from them because persecution is coming. Cancellation is coming. That's just how Israel felt, isn't it? You brought us out to this desert to die, Moses. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to the flesh pots where we were slaves of this world. We choose slavery in this world over slavery to God. Even when God provided them the manna from heaven, this bread, this miracle bread from heaven, they said this of it. All we have is this stinking manna. And you know, if you know your Bible, that manna was a picture of Jesus Christ, a foretelling of Christ to come, the bread from heaven that would be our eternal sustenance by grace alone, through faith alone. All we have is a stinking manna. They disdained the manna that was keeping them alive. They preferred to go back to Egypt to be slaves. Back across the Red Sea, God had parted a wall of water on the left and the right, dry land in between. And there will be many professing Christians with the same heart that decide under the duress and pressures of this world that all we have is a stinking manna, the promise of eternal life through the bread of heaven. And I want my best life now. I want peace now. I'd rather go back and have peace with Egypt and be a slave to tyranny than to stand up for Christ. And they'll hide the manna of Jesus. They'll hide it away. They'll not set their Christian testimony on the hill for the world to hear. They'll not stand for God's law, God's moral commands, truth and righteousness. They'll not speak. They will be ashamed of Jesus. The stinking manna from heaven. But you know, again, if you know your Bible, that we are called to be the aroma of Christ, the aroma of life to those who are being saved, and the aroma of death to those who are damned. But we are called to be the aroma of Christ. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man who gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, me and my words, It's not enough to casually identify with Jesus. We are to wholeheartedly identify with Jesus and everything Jesus said. And here's what he said. Beginning to end, it's all his word. Red ink, black ink, all of it. He is the God of the Bible. He's the word of God, is he not? In the beginning was the word. And the Word is with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Nothing was made that was made without Him. And the Word became flesh. 
He's the second person to the Trinity. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Live toward that day. Live toward that day. Hold this world loosely. Hold all the things of this world loosely. You're going to need to hold these things loosely and hold fast to Christ and His coming kingdom. When He comes in His glory, that way you can be unashamed of Jesus. You've heard it from me before. If you've been here for any time, learn to be ashamed of your shame of Jesus. Your chief shame above all else, is your shame of Jesus. The only good thing in you is Jesus' righteousness in you, appropriated by grace alone through faith alone. It's a foreign, alien righteousness. The very righteousness of Christ living in you. He is our only boast. How dare we be ashamed of Christ, our King, the glorious, righteous, spotless Lamb of God who took our sins upon Himself, bore our iniquity, was pierced for our transgressions, suffered the eternal wrath of God that our sins deserve in hell on that cross, died for our sins personally, and rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death on our behalf. How dare we be ashamed of Him? How dare we be like our Jewish forefathers and call Him stinking manna and try to hide Him away in a corner of our life so no one would get a whiff? Brothers and sisters, it's not time for shame. It's not time for peace. It's not time to exhort everybody to just pray. It's not time to perpetually remind folks God is sovereign. It's not time to tell everybody, let go and let God. It's not time to demand that everybody just get along. You know, let's just try to make it along. It's not time for hypersensitivity in the face of strife in Washington, D.C. It's not time for impassioned, be nice, bumper sticker exhortations as if that was the Christian moral. It's time to speak and war with God's Word. The sword of the Spirit, the fire and hammer of God, the truth. Jeremiah 23.29 says this, Is not my word like a fire, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? It's God speaking to His people. Is this not my word? Is this not my power? Is this not my chosen instrument to subdue the heart of individual sinners and mankind as a whole? Does not faith come by hearing and hearing the word of God? Are sinners not made wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus through the scriptures? Is the word, the law, not perfect, converting the soul? Those are all quotes of Scripture about the power of Scripture. Is it not sharper than a double-edged sword? Is it not our singular offensive weapon? Is it not a fire and a hammer to break the rock 
of man's sinful heart and institutions in pieces? And the answer is yes. The answer is amen. It is. First Peter 4 verse 17 and 18 says this, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Is America being judged? Oh, yes. But judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Cowardly, self-loving, self-serving, pastor hirelings who want butts in the seats and dollars and offering plates, who desperately want those who hate God and hate righteousness to love and applaud them, who refuse to expose the Democratic Party's satanic platform and policies, who refuse to preach the whole counsel of God and make the essential applications to citizenship and voting, and who refuse to do church discipline, have created an American evangelical church full of false converts who profess Christ as Lord with their lips but deny Him with their woke social justice warrior BLM votes, for God-hating Democrats who are openly waging war against God, His Word, His law, His gospel, His church, unborn babies, marriage, gender, all things righteous, and the biblical worldview that made America the greatest, freest, most prosperous nation on the planet. Judgment begins with the house of the Lord, and judgment begins with pastors at the helm who are supposed to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ, but can't because they're not following Christ. They are criminally compromised, and I say criminally, because the blood of millions of unborn babies is on their hands. The pastor hirelings refused to biblically preach the law of God as the only absolute moral standard for mankind and the God-ordained tutor to bring men to Christ in America's pulpits. The pastor hirelings refused to biblically preach the gospel in America's churches and call the unrepentant false converts filling their pews with the stench of sin and death to actually repent, follow Christ as Lord, and be saved from the judgment to come. Hear me, that is hateful. It is hateful to desire people sitting in pews giving money to support the church who aren't repentant, born again, saved. To desire their presence and their cash over their eternal soul. That is hateful. And it fills Christ's church with the stench of death that is still upon them. The immorality that they still love, the sin, the wickedness they still love, the evil, 1 Corinthians 5 calls it, that they still love, which is why 1 Corinthians 5 says, call them to repent or they won't repent. Put the evil person out from amongst you that they might learn to repent and be saved so they don't sit comfortably thinking everything's fine. They're a Christian. They go to church. They sing songs about Jesus and everybody treats them like a Christian. The pastor treats them like a Christian as they're on their way down the broad road of destruction that ends in eternal hell. 
The pastor hirelings refuse to obey Christ and purge evil from Christ's church, as 1 Corinthians 5 commands. The pastor hirelings adamantly refuse to, quote, do the work of the evangelist, 2 Timothy 4, 5, and fill America's cities with the name of Jesus, preaching the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the open air, in the city square, at riverfronts, on college campuses, outside abortion clinics, anywhere and everywhere perishing sinners are found. We've refused to do that generation after generation. And now we have a generation that's called post-Christian. In fact, we have a generation that's called Antichrist. The post-generation, post-Christian generation, that has come and gone. This generation is anti-Christ. They're raging against God and His Christ. Now America's reaping the whirlwind. And the pastor hirelings and their compromising congregants are crying, God's judging America and pointing out at those evil sinners out there. While they're unregenerate, unrepentant, false Christian, woke social justice, BLM brothers and sisters, quote-unquote, are down the church aisle from them celebrating the Democratic Party's insurrection against God and country. This very Sunday, they're holding hands and blasphemously singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. In churches all through our city, all through our state, all across this nation, and all through the Western world. This moral insanity has got to end. This long-standing, widespread, ecclesiastical, congregational, and individual unholy compromise can't go on. Has God not made that clear? If you don't see it, you will soon see it. If you have been suppressing the truth because it's too horrific to bear. Unless there is a revival and or a revolution, America as you once knew it is over. Now my prayer is for revival. My prayer is for reformation. My prayer is that the exercise of the First Amendment, obeying the Great Commission, will bring a great multitude beneath King Jesus and that righteousness will again prevail in our land as genuine born-again-from-above Christians walk in the light of the Word. And that's the very thing that George Washington so many years ago said, that this nation we have just formed and this constitution upon which it stands cannot stand except for a Christian people. Unless Christ rules within us and his word rules within us, this constitution will not rule us. And that's what's now before us. And undeniably so. Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. After much long-suffering patience, God is now judging pastor hirelings and their lukewarm churches that have long squandered the constitutional freedoms that God so graciously, providentially provided them to raise their children as godly offspring in their homes, to congregate in local assemblies for worship and equipping for ministry through the preaching of the Holy Scriptures, and to preach the glory of Christ and His gospel in the pulpit and open air from sea to shining sea. We are still called and commanded to do all that and more. But now, at least for a season, we'll do it under God-hating Democratic Party tyrants who aim to criminalize it and us. For the last decade, 
They've called us haters and bigots. As of this last week, they call us criminals, insurrectionists, and domestic terrorists who need to be re-educated and reprogrammed by Joe Biden and the Democratic Party's new totalitarian government. And if you haven't heard that, you're not listening to them. Those are the words from their mouths. Today, they're in power. What will they call us tomorrow? Saints, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what they call us tomorrow. What matters is that Christ's true followers truly follow Christ. They truly hear him. They stop playing Christian and start being Christians. They die to self, take up the cross, and proclaim Christ and his word unashamedly everywhere. That's what matters. That's what we should have been doing all these decades with this amazing freedom, this unprecedented freedom that God has bestowed upon us. What matters right now is that Christ's true followers truly follow Christ. If you're a true follower of Christ, you cannot be under a pastor hireling and his soul-damning, church-defiling, nation-destroying, lukewarm Christianity. If you're a true follower of Christ, you don't sit next to woke, social justice warrior, BLM-loving, democratic voting, unchecked, baby genocide-supporting, radical LGBT perversion-supporting, false converts, and sing about how you love Jesus with them. You don't do that. You don't sit beneath hireling pastors. You don't sit next to false converts. Because you love Jesus. And you love those perishing people down the pew from you. You can't sit peaceably there while they blaspheme Christ and continue down the path of destruction. If you're a true follower of Christ, you'll find a real pastor and real Christians that constitute a real church. And it will look a lot like this. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Quote, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. That's the Apostle Paul's, the Spirit of God in the Apostle Paul's admonishment to the Philippian church and to every church that we are united, standing fast in one spirit. That's one passion, lowercase s, one heart, one mind standing fast in one spirit with one mind, striving our work, our passion, our labor, that which makes us sweat, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by our adversaries because there will be adversaries. There always have been adversaries, which is for them a proof of perdition, their perdition, their eternal destruction. The fact that you are willing to suffer and strive and stand together united for the sake of the gospel is a proof to them of their perdition, but to you of your salvation. It's a double proof. It's a proof of their perdition and of your salvation. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, i.e. salvation, but to also suffer for His sake, 
having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. We need to read Acts regularly. You need to read Acts regularly. That's the Christian life in an antichrist world. That's our mission. That's our plan. That's our history. And it's our future. You need to read the book of Acts. And what will you find there? You will find what Paul is suffering. He says, having the same conflict. What conflict? The gospel conflict. What conflict? The conflict between God and insurrectionist mankind. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. You need to go and see it, saints, and get familiar with it and pray to God that he strengthens you to enter into it faithfully. We are to have that same conflict and we will if we die to self and take up the cross following Jesus, making his name great in an antichrist state and world that opposes him. Hear me clearly. The Democratic Party is the party of Satan. And they have every intention of cramming their satanic blasphemy of the one true God, their gross sexual perversion, their government-funded child genitalia mutilation surgeries and gender-suppressing drugs, their codified gender-neutral vocabulary, their government-funded baby genocide, and the utopian communist fantasy down America's collective throat. That probably sounds harsh. It's not. I held back the full explanation of what they're doing in all of its gory realities. It's true. And it's long past time to speak the plain truth. If you voted for Joe Biden or any other Democrat, you're guilty of treason against God and country. You're part of the Psalm 2, Romans 1, uprising against God the Father and His anointed Son. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now this should comfort you. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Despite their insurrection, God has set his king on the holy hill of Zion. He sits upon the throne at the right hand of the Father, even now reigning. But he will reign on this earth over all the kingdoms of men. Verse 7, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Remember Matthew 18, or 28, 18? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The gospel is for individuals, oh yes. But we don't want just individuals, we want all the individuals. We want nations to be subdued to Christ. Will that happen? Well, if God wills it, it'll happen. If God wills it. We cannot just decide, this is the end, let's hide until Jesus comes. Jesus didn't write that anywhere. Hide till I come to rescue you. That's not the mission. 
The mission is until he comes to be busy about his work, seeking to save the lost. To be busy proclaiming the word of God everywhere, praying that God would bring every need to bow to Christ, that they might be saved and he glorified. And remember the question, will faith be found on the earth when he returns? Will it? Or will we be hiding from tyrants? I would declare the decree again, Psalm 2, verse 7. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. You need to know Psalm 2. You need to know Psalm 2. This is what's going on outside. And you need to know decidedly which side you're on. And you need to take great comfort from it. For our king shall reign. The tyrants will be subdued. Christ's church doesn't vote Democrat. Satan's unholy antichrist church does. Christ's church doesn't vote for Satan's party. Satan's wicked antichrist church does. Christ's church doesn't worship or serve alongside Satan's church. Christ's church exposes Satan's church for what it is and calls the men and women perishing in it to repent and confess Christ as Lord unto salvation. There are a great multitude of men and women who profess Christ with their lips who one day are going to hear Matthew 7 Go from me, you who practice lawlessness. They support every vile, abominable, wicked, sinful, lawless thing that God hates and Jesus died for with their votes and their dollars and their mouths while they profess Jesus simultaneously and claim to worship him on Sunday. They are actually celebrating Joe Biden's victory. Christ's church exposes Satan's church for what it is. And calls the men and women perishing in it to repent and confess Christ as Lord unto actual salvation. Christ's church has no peace with and no part of Satan's church or Satan's party. The church and party that Emmanuel Cleaver represented so exceptionally in his prayer last week in the House of Representatives. Satan's church and Satan's party were well represented In the opening prayer of the 117th Congress, Emmanuel Cleaver is a Democratic Party representative and a pastor at St. James United Methodist Church. He is both Satan's party and Satan's church. Mr. Cleaver had the honor of opening the 117th Congress with prayer. He closed his prayer with these words, quote, We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma. And God, lowercase g, known by many names, by many different faiths, a man and a woman. That is the prayer prayed by the tyrannical representative of Satan's party and Satan's church in the House of Representatives. I'll read it again. We ask in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, the God known by many names and by many different faiths, a man and a woman. That is blasphemy. That is satanic. That is a satanic prayer prayed boldly by Satan's party and Satan's church. Pastor Cleaver, Representative Cleaver. 
Satan's church and Satan's party were well represented in Joe Biden's inauguration. The massive Bible that Joe Biden placed his hand on to be sworn in was a Roman Catholic Dewey Rhymes Bible, complete with the Apocrypha, a translation of the Latin Vulgate, not a translation from Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek texts. Before President Joe Biden was sworn in to serve as the 46th President of the United States, he reaffirmed his commitment to serve God at a morning Mass. The service was held at St. Matthew the Apostle, Mother Church of the Washington Diocese, represented two elements close to Biden's heart, faith and bipartisanship, supposedly. The service, which was attended by political leaders from both parties, is part of Biden's lifelong pattern of attending to God before his duties as a civil servant. Hear me, that is not the God of the Bible. That's not the God who created the heavens and the earth. That's the God of this world that Ephesians 2 talks about, Satan himself. Religion and faith were woven through the Inauguration Day ceremonies. The inaugural prayer was given by Reverend Leo O'Donovan, the Jesuit priest who did the Mass before the inauguration for Joe. Part of the prayer reads like this. It's right out of the BLM manual. Today we confess our past failures to live according to our vision of equality, inclusion, and freedom for all. Yet we resolutely commit still more now to renewing the vision, to caring for one another in word and deed, especially the least fortunate among us, and so becoming a light for the world. It sounds good if you don't know what he's talking about from the communist BLM systemic racist lie, propaganda viewpoint. Jennifer Lopez sang America the Beautiful, which reads, O beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee And Miss Lopez knows nothing of it, nor does Joe Biden. And crown thy good with brotherhood. They know nothing of true good because God defines what is good and evil, and they've rejected that God. They serve the God of this world, Satan himself. And brotherhood, what brotherhood? Christian brotherhood. Born again from above, new creatures in Christ, part of the eternal family of God. And crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. O beautiful for pilgrim feet whose stern and passion stress, a thoroughfare for freedom beat across the wilderness. America, America, God mend thine every flaw. What God? And how would you define flaw? They define flaw as systemic racism. Now, if there was systemic racism, indeed, that would be a flaw. If you are creating racism, if you're fostering racial division and strife, To further your communist agenda, that's another issue. Confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. Ultimately, America's original jurisprudence, America's original laws came from the biblical worldview. God's law. And these people know nothing of that. Or self-control. How dare Jennifer Lopez, or how dare Joe Biden, have her sing about self-control. The Democratic Party, the party of Satan, is about No control, absolute sexual lawlessness, abomination. Oh, beautiful for patriot dream. (laughs) They know nothing of patriotism. That sees beyond the years, thine alabaster cities gleam undimmed by human tears. Oh, that they could cry, but they cannot. Oh, that they could speak, but they cannot. What about the 1.6 billion babies the Democratic Party helped murder since 1980 around the globe? 
America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood. Come see the shining sea. Joe Biden quoted scripture and church fathers in his speech. Quote, St. Augustine, a saint of my church, wrote that a people was a multitude defined by common objects of their love. What are the common objects we as Americans love that define us as Americans? I think we know opportunity, security, liberty, respect, honor, and yes, the truth. Yet if you know the policies and agenda of the Biden administration and the Democratic Party behind him, you know those words do not mean what they once meant. It's all been flipped. Good is being called evil and evil good. The ceremony ended with a benediction read by Reverend Sylvester Beeman, pastor of the Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church. A portion of it reads like this. President-elect Biden has been a man who has sought after the heart of God. You look at his life and you can see that. During the difficult times in his life, he was sustained by faith. It's good to know that there will be a president who is sincerely a Christian, who sincerely seeks after the heart of God, not as a political ploy, not as political correctness, but simply as a human being. Lie upon lie upon lie. That's what the Biden inauguration was. Satan's church was well represented on Joe Biden's historic first day as the President of the United States. Discerning Christians saw it coming, and now it has arrived in all its nightmarish Romans 1 horror. What did Joe Biden do on day one? Day one. Well, we saw it coming. An article from LifeSite News reads, Democratic presidential candidate, former Vice President Joe Biden, speaks during a campaign event on January 3rd, 2020, in Independence, Iowa. Biden spoke about foreign policy and domestic issues mainly. However, Christian leaders and conservative commentators denounced Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden's support for allowing children as young as eight years old to self-identify as transgender. At an ABC News town hall Thursday night, the former vice president was asked a question by a mother who claimed one of her children identified as transgender and wanted to know Biden's views on the subject. Here's Biden's answer. Quote, the idea that an eight-year-old child or a 10-year-old child decides to, you know, I decided that I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It would make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination, Joe Biden said. He added, there should be no right denied to the questioner's trans-identified child that would be otherwise given to her other child who does not identify as transgender. The article goes on to say, in recent years, parents and students have opposed allowing students who identify as trans to enter bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers designated for the opposite sex. LGBT activists have pushed school districts to give students who identify as transgender access to all facilities regardless of sex designation. So that was a serious concern on January 3rd. On January 20th, the first day of Joe Biden's presidency, immediately after his inauguration. He signed the executive order on preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation that reads, by the authority vested in me as president, by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, it is hereby ordered as follows. Section 1, policy. Every person should be treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear, no matter who they are or whom they love. 
Children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. Adults should be able to earn a living and pursue a vocation, knowing that they will not be fired, demoted, or mistreated because of whom they go home to or because how they dress does not conform to sex-based stereotypes. People should be able to access health care and secure a roof over their heads without being subjected to sex discrimination. All persons should receive equal treatment under the law, no matter their gender identity or sexual orientation. What is that? That's the end of women's and girls' sports. That's the end of a safe America for women and girls. Because the bathrooms have now been turned into a pervert zone. Where dirty old men and perverted boys can go into the women's restrooms and the women's locker rooms and shower with them. That is profoundly evil and stupid. That's where suppressing the truth and unrighteousness leads. That's where denying the God of Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the Genesis of 1.16, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. That's where it ends up. You reject the creator, you descend into moral insanity. He just signed by presidential decree, an executive order that is the greatest misogynist crime against women in the history of America. He just opened season on the women of America. And the overwhelming number of voters that actually voted for Joe Biden were women. Sin makes you mad. Christ church doesn't pray to an undefined monotheistic God, Brahman, a God known by many names, by many different faiths, and close their prayer with amen and a woman. But Satan's church does. Christ's church doesn't pray the Democratic Party's satanic prayers or support their satanic agenda. But Satan's church does. Christ's church doesn't support the man who swore to help Planned Parenthood advance their genocide of the unborn around the globe, who swore to help pervert and mutilate our children, who swore to enact the most misogynist presidential executive order in history, ending women's and girls' sports, exposing women and girls to the obvious danger of dirty old men and perverted young men in women's and girls' bathrooms and locker rooms. But Satan's church does. The Democratic Party is the party of Satan. True Christians don't vote for the party of Satan. False converts do, apostates do. It may have been less clear a few decades ago, but now it's undeniably a fact that a vote for a Democratic candidate is a vote for Satan's anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-Gospel, anti-Church, anti-marriage, anti-family, anti-unborn baby, anti-America, anti-Constitution, anti-freedom, pro-idolatry, pro-perversion, pro-communism party. You need to know that the abortion industry is celebrating. They're celebrating openly because not only is it open season on women and girls in the restrooms, it's open season on the unborn in mothers' wombs globally. Psalm 9 verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Individual sinners shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God And that's the tragedy, the eternal tragedy. Individuals will go to hell, but our entire nation is under the judgment of God. 
And we're making this earth hellish. Now, mind you, I'm not going to blaspheme the horror of hell. The, the full, unmitigated wrath of the Almighty. There's nothing in this world that could be compared to that. But how tragic to turn America into a place of perversion, a place of suffering, where people will spend their years and then go and spend eternity in hell. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Why has America forgotten God? Judgment begins with the house of the Lord because we have let them. We have refused to go therefore and make disciples. We have refused to preach Christ from the rooftops. We have refused to fill our Jerusalems with the name of Jesus, to turn the world upside down. That's what you read in Acts. That's what they did. Those are the accusations their enemies brought against them. They have filled Jerusalem with the name of Jesus, and we told them not to. They disobeyed the tyrants. They have turned the world upside down. Put them to death already. They refused to obey the tyrants because they were obeying the king of kings who has all authority in heaven and earth. Christians aren't Democrats. Christians don't vote for Democrats. Professing Christians who claim to be Democrats or vote for Democrats need to be called to repent and confess Christ as Lord because we love Christ and we love them. Professing Christians who claim to be Democrats or vote for Democrats, need to be warned that they've embraced the God-hating prayers, platform, and agenda of the devil. And unless they repent and follow Christ as Lord, they'll suffer the devil's end. And the devil's end is hell, friends. Romans 1, 28-32 says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what did Psalm 9 say? And all the nations that forget God. Romans 1, verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God. That's at the heart of it all. They hate God. Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That is the Democratic Party platform. I just read it to you. They've taken Romans 1 and made it their agenda because they're serving the evil one. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. What's our job? To as much as is possible, make them to preach the one true God and His Word that they might have a knowledge of God. What's the beginning of knowledge? Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Our job is to introduce them to God that they might fear Him because He is holy and they are not. Pastors and Christians who have been silent in the face of the Democratic Party's abject evil are complicit. Lukewarm pastors and Christians who refuse to call the Democratic voters and their churches to repent aren't loving them, they're hating them and the rest of America with them. Cowardly pastors who refuse to call their Democratic congregants to repentance and obedience to Christ as Lord are no pastors at all. They're self-loving, self-serving hirelings. And I say that with love for them even. Oh, that they would repent. Repent. 
their condemnation will be greater, far greater than their congregants who are voting for this evil will be the condemnation of those who allowed them to and didn't love them enough to speak the truth. Churches full of Democrats that sing about how they love Jesus on Sunday and vote for every vile thing Jesus died for on Monday aren't churches at all. They're what Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, and 3, verse 9, call synagogues of Satan, quote, unquote. They are literally Satan's churches. We don't need to wonder what Jesus Christ would say to Pastor Emmanuel Cleaver or the United Methodist Church that he pastors and the rest of Satan's churches like them. It's recorded in Matthew's Gospel and John's Revelation. This is what Jesus says to Mr. Cleaver, so-called Pastor Cleaver, State Representative Cleaver, and all pastors and all churches like his. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's what's coming for them. Will we love them enough to speak the truth? even though it will make us very unpopular, and that's an understatement? Will we love them enough to speak the truth? Revelation 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. That's Jesus speaking to his church. Christ's true church needs to get on its knees and pray to the one true God, the God of the Bible, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the only God there is, the Word of God, the law of God, and the gospel of God, that Christ's true church, true pastors, and true Christians proclaimed From sea to shining sea is what made America the greatest, freest, most prosperous nation on the planet. Christ's true church must repent of its criminal apathy and silence. Purge the unrighteous leaven of Satan's church and Satan's party out of the true church of Christ. And once again, stand up for Jesus and boldly proclaim his word, his law, and his gospel everywhere to everyone for the salvation of sinners. And as God's righteous preservative to hold Satan's schemes, Satan's party, and the evil bound up in every man's heart in check. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Oh, that, that verse has been bandied about for decades, by men and women involved in the colossal compromise. That must stop. America's church must truly repent of its wicked ways. They must truly humble themselves. They must truly pray and seek the Lord, the Lord of the Bible, the Lord's face, and turn from their wicked ways. And then he will hear from heaven. Then he will forgive and heal our land. Dear saints, God-hating tyrants will never learn to fear God when God's people cower before them in silence. We have a long history of Protestant resistance to tyranny. May God give us more bold-hearted reformers like George Wishart, who trained up the likes of John Knox, who boldly prayed, quote, Give me Scotland or I die. Make it your prayer. Give me America or I die.
and pray for preachers, pray for pastors who will pray such and live accordingly. John Knox prayed, give me Scotland or I die. Then he preached fearlessly to that end. Despite the real threats of the Roman Catholic tyrants of his day, the Roman Catholic Mary, Queen of the Scots, gave this unintended compliment to Knox. Quote, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Catholic tyranny and heresy could not stand the fire and hammer of the word of God fearlessly preached and prayed. Wishart taught Knox to fear God alone and no earthly power. By preaching the gospel fearlessly in the face of certain persecution and martyrdom at the hands of tyrannical Catholic authorities, Knox learned his lesson well and helped raise up an army of Reformed preachers who freed Scotland from the tyranny of Roman Catholic rule and heresy by courageously preaching the word of God in the pulpit and on the streets in the face of tyranny. May God raise up men today with resolute steel in their spines who will fearlessly preach God's law and gospel in America's pulpits and streets in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ's great commission and in defiance of today's Antichrist, secular atheist, Marxist, Antifa, anarchist, Black Lives Matter, homosexual activist, baby genocide supporting tyrants, i.e. the Democratic Party. May God-hating Antichrist tyrants in every age, under every flag, learn the beginning of wisdom, the fear of God, from preachers who fear nothing but God and preach the gospel in the pulpit and in the open air accordingly. And all of God's saints said, Amen.